John chapter 15. We're going to only look at the first eight verses, and I mean, it is just filled with a um, plethora of great inspiration from God to us. And out of reverence to God and His Word, would you please stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture together? John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I'm sharing with you out of the NIV translation this morning uh, on this passage. Jesus is speaking to us. Receive it this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are grateful to open up your word this morning. We ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that, Lord, you would help me hide behind the cross. We want to lift Jesus up. We want to lift your word up. Your word declares to us that if we lift you up, you will draw all men to yourself. We know that if we bring people to the foot of the cross, their lives will be changed. It's not a man that changes people. It's Jesus. It's your word. And so, Lord, we come today to proclaim boldly the gospel, to present you, Jesus. And we ask, God, that you do in our midst what only you can do, and all the glory, honor, and praise will come to your precious name. And it's in his precious name, the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Jesus declared there in verse 1, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. As elsewhere in the gospel, true means genuine. Jesus is the real deal. He is the final, if you will, as compared to anything else. He's it. He's the plumb line. He's the real vine. I think it's important for us to note here that when Jesus was speaking this, he was speaking to people that would have known the Old Testament very well. Jeremiah and Isaiah proclaimed there was this coming apostasy that was going on in Israel and that they were going to be held accountable for it. You see, the book of Lamentations speaks of it as well. And and we find especially in Jeremiah and Isaiah's writings that Israel is compared to a vine that is not bearing fruit, and they are going to be judged for it. They would have understood this. And Jesus is now saying, wait a minute, no longer is Israel Israel going to be compared to being the vine, but I'm the vine. I'm the vine now. I'm the true vine. And we know that Jesus lived his whole life for one purpose, and that was to glorify his Father. 
So this morning, we're going we're gonna to open up God's Word, and we're going to find out how we're going to live to glorify God. Amen or oh me. This is good stuff, y'all. Let me know you're in here with me. I don't like being by myself. So our big idea today is Jesus saved us to restore us to God in order for us to be shaped by God, enabling us to live lives that glorify God. Let me say it again because you might want to write that down. Jesus saved us to restore us to God in order for us to be shaped by God, enabling us to live lives glorifying to God. That's good stuff, y'all. That's good stuff. We're saved, first of all, to be restored to God. You've heard it said over and over here at Grace Family that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. Amen? You've heard that before. The Scriptures declare to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, absolutely nothing else can be added to that truth without changing the gospel, making it a false gospel. Every false religion has as its core this need for us to try to build a bridge to get back to God. Every false religion, they want to build a bridge to get back to God. So they want you to work a little harder, try a little more, give a little bit more, sacrifice more out of your life, beat yourself, whatever, but work toward getting back to God. Let me just tell you, the stuff that people try to use to build their bridge to get back to God is tainted, and it's never enough. Let me ask you, if it was about giving... How much would you have to give in order to get back into a right relationship with God? If it was about right living, why, how much right living would you need to do in order to be made right with God? Because I can tell you there's people that really live a lot better than me. So are they going and I'm not going to go to heaven? So it's tainted. Every false religion is trying to build a bridge to get back to God, and they all, all those bridges fail. What sets true Christianity apart from every other religion is this fact. Jesus built the one and only bridge to us. He sacrificed his life on the cross in order to restore us into a relationship with his Father. That's good news. Think about that. Jesus bringing us into a relationship that you and I can be brought into a right relationship with God the Father. I can't wrap my head around that. I mean, the Lord spoke, and in that breath, billions of galaxies were birthed in an instant. My snapper didn't work very good there. Sorry. Think about that. And we get to be in a right relationship with him. He's inviting us to be in an intimate relationship with him. Jesus died on the cross in order to build that bridge so that we could be restored in fellowship, restored in relationship with His Father. Listen, one of the scariest passages of Scripture to me is found in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Listen as I read it. Jesus again is speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and we've done many wonders in your name? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. No, works, even great godly works, do not save a man or a woman. It's grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Lord. And he's bringing us into a right relationship with the, with the Father, restoring us to his Father. So let me ask you this morning, have you received Jesus as your personal forgiver and leader? your Savior and Lord? Have you invited him in your heart to forgive you of your sin, to make him the leader of your life, to let him lead you and guide you with every decision in your life? Are you letting him shape your life for God's glory? If not, today would be a great day to invite Jesus to come into your life. And we'll hang around and talk to you about that and help you make that decision if you would like. Secondly, We're saved in order to be shaped by God. Look at verses uh, 2 through through 3 with me. He says, Jesus says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Now, this gets confusing for a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of bad messages here, just to be honest with you. Uh, it's really important to note here that the Scriptures are not teaching in verse 2 that someone can lose their salvation. There needs to be security in this room on that. In the context of the whole of Scripture, we know that Jesus said himself that he doesn't lose anyone the Father puts into his hand. No one or nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Think about that. Now, let me add to this a little bit more. If it's grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, and it's not of our works, if you can't earn it, what makes you think you can lose it? It ain't up to you. It's up to him. This ought to just get exciting in this room, man. Baptocostals. Yeah. Peanut gallery right here. Jesus both saves and holds you and me safely in his hand. Well, what about when I really mess up? I mean really mess up. What about then? What if I really mess? And I mean, I mess up a whole lot of other people's lives in the process. Am I still in the Lord's hand? Am I? Are you sure? Why? How do you know you're sure? How, how do you know for sure? Because that's what the Word says. Saved by grace, through faith, not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any man would be able to boast. But I want us to be careful here 
There's some fakers out there too. And Jesus warns us about this in this passage. There's some fakers. They, remember Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23? He says, many, many will come to me in that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, but didn't we teach Sunday school in your name? Did we pound the pulpit and preach? Cast out demons? Serve Lord's Supper? Did not mop the floors? Did not change the baby's diapers at the First Baptist Church or something? Grace family too, whatever. There's some fakers out there. They've got a form of godliness, but they've denied the power thereof. They're banking on their works to build a bridge into a right relationship with God and failed to know the creator of the universe on an intimate level. Another passage of scripture that I love is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if you is what you was, then you ain't. That's hillbilly translation. The scriptures actually say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. When you get saved, you become a new creation. You have his Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And the Holy Spirit begins to change your values. He begins to change your want-tos. He begins to change your lifestyle until it begins to reflect his Father. I remember when I gave my heart and life to Jesus. I'm not going to share my whole story, but let me just tell you, I was, I was really lost, really, really lost. And I was on the end of my bed looking to work up enough nerve to put a 32 caliber pistol in my mouth and pull the trigger. That's how miserable I was and how lost I was. But I had two friends that kept coming by my apartment in Warrensburg to try to share Jesus with me. And to be really honest with you, I hated to see those Bible-thumping, pew-jumping, holy roller Christians show up. I hated to see them show up. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. But that night, sitting on the end of my bed about 2 o'clock in the morning, trying to work up enough nerve to put that gun in my mouth and pull the trigger, God brought back to my memory the things that they said about how much God loved me and how much Jesus could make a difference in my life. And that night, I got down on the end of my bed, lay the pistol aside, and I said, God, if you're really real, then Jesus, if you really love me like those guys say you do, I need you to come in my life and change me because I can't keep living like this anymore. And I know that he came into my heart and life that night. There was a peace that came over me that I cannot explain. It wasn't being drunk or anything like that. I know what that feels like, and it had nothing to do with being drunk. That turmoil I had on the inside was gone. But you know what wasn't gone? All my old bad habits, all my want-tos, all my values were still all jacked up. But day by day by day, as I leaned into Jesus, as I leaned into the Word of God, as I leaned into the preaching that I was hearing from my pastor, His Holy Spirit, the Lord, began to change my values. He began to change my want-tos. He began to change my lifestyle. Now, I'm not a perfect man, and I think everybody in this room knows that I'm not a perfect man. I'm, I'm far, far from being perfect. But I can tell you right now, he is still shaping me into a man 
that hopefully will glorify him with my life. We are saved in order to be shaped so that we can live a life that will glorify God. That's what we're seeing Jesus declare to us in John chapter 15. You've heard it said over and over here at GFF that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. We've shared the scriptures there in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that verifies that. But have you ever slowed down long enough to really read on down just a little bit more and see verse 10? If you've got your Bibles, flip back over to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and let's just look at verse 10 for a second. I'll give you a second to get there. I think sometimes we want to stop on we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then a lot of times we as believers think, well, that's all done. Got my ticket to heaven. I can live my life however I want to. Wrong. Wrong. Oh, you can, I guess. But you're going to miss out on the abundant life that Jesus promised you. I don't know about you all, but when Jesus promises me abundance, I want me some of that. Y'all like living in scarcity, huh? Okay, y'all just keep living with that. Tell me how that works for you. I want everything God has for me. Now, before those of you fold up your arms, cross your legs, and turn me off thinking I'm preaching a prosperity gospel, uh uh-uh, no, wrong. But I'm telling you what, my God has a cattle on a thousand hills. My God paves heaven with gold, pearly gates. He, so you want to talk material stuff? God's got that too. Bottom line is, oh, he's talking about a kind of life that is abundant, that's full, that's satisfying, that's rewarding. Do you want that kind of life? I do too. And the only way we get that kind of life is if we let him shape us and we then begin to live a life that glorifies him, then we begin to experience the abundance he promises us. Let that sink in. You are where you are today because you've chosen to be there. If you don't like where you are, you can choose to get out of that by leaning into God and his word. Look at verse 10. The Apostle Paul declares to us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. Do you hear that this morning? There are works out there that God wants you and me to be plugged into. There are things that he wants us to do that will bring glory to his name. One of my uh, favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes, and I read it at least a couple times a year. I read it from beginning to end. It's a short book, but it's incredibly powerful. King Solomon is... Nearing the end of his life, he's summing up his life and what's really important. And over and over, you'll see a theme throughout the book. 
This is what you'll see. Work is a gift from God. Amen or oh me? Work is a gift from God. Secondly, enjoy the fruit of your labor because that's a gift from God too. And thirdly, Solomon sums it up by saying, oh, but remember, only what's done for God's glory is going to satisfy and last. Everything else is vanity. So if all you're working for is the paycheck, you're going to live a pretty vain life. It's going to leave you feeling pretty empty. If all you're doing is punching a clock and waiting for quitting time, if all you're doing is waiting for the weekend to show up so you can go do your thing, you're missing it. Did you know that work was given to us before the fall? Before Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, God gave Adam and Eve that four-letter word, work. It's a gift. It gives us purpose. Our purpose in work is to glorify God. Glorify God. Our purpose in work is to glorify God. So when you show up to work, are you leaving it all on the field? Are you giving your very best for the glory of God? Are you just showing up, taking space, and waiting on a paycheck? Quiet in here, isn't it? I don't know how you feel about Tim Tebow. I love the guy. I know he didn't make it in the pros, but man, he played some mean college football. Played for the Gators, Florida Gators. Not my favorite team, not by a long shot, but I tell you, love the man. I got the chance to listen to him at the Passion Conference in January, and I got to hear him tell the story of when he was playing for the Florida Gators. He was the starting quarterback, and he was working very hard to lead them to a national championship. He shared with that room full of teenagers and adults, Tim Tebow did, how hard they worked in in practice. I mean, they worked hard. They ran stairs, and they lifted weights, and they practiced two and three times a day in the heat of the day, and all this stuff. And, And Tim Tebow, being the quarterback, set the pace. And he was setting the bar high for the whole team. He said there was one guy on the team that was even more talented than anybody else on the team. Super talented guy. He made the comment, though, he was also a guy that was quick to name the name of Jesus as his Savior and Lord. He was at every campus uh, ministry event that went on. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He was always on the front row for all those kind of meetings. He was the first one to be at their camps and those kind of things. But when it came to practice, he wouldn't give it his best. When it came to weightlifting, he didn't lift as much as he could or should. When it came to running laps, he wasn't one of the first ones across the finish line. He was in the middle of the pack, always just doing whatever it took just to get by. And finally, Tim Tebow confronted him. He said, listen, 
You're not leaving your best on the field. You're not, you're not giving your all in practice. You're setting a bad example for all of us. I know you go to all these Christian ministry things, and you're on the front row, and you're serving and all that stuff, but let me just tell you, you're a bad witness when it comes to this team. And, and this fellow athlete, and Tim said if he had mentioned his name, everybody in the room would know who he is. I still don't know who it is. I don't really care. But he said, this guy said, the reason I'm in the middle of the pack is I want to try to be encouraging to those who are at the back. And Tim said, I'm not buying it. The coaches who God has put in authority over you has said, give your best, practice hard, leave it all on the field, and you're not doing that. So if you don't change your ways, you, that, that football field is mine. I'm the quarterback of the Florida Gators. You don't start giving your all for the glory of God, you'll not play on my football team. Uh, that guy did not play underneath Tim Tebow for two years because he wouldn't give his best for the glory of God. Are you hanging out with the middle of the pack? Are you giving a half-hearted effort and you think that's glorifying God? It's not. So let me ask, do you approach your job, those you work with, your employer, as a gift from God? Do you seek to glorify God in how hard you work, the quality of work you do, how you act and what you say at work? Listen, you and I were saved to bring glory to God in everything we do. We are His ambassadors. Now, one final thought that I want to leave with us is look at verse 5 in uh, John chapter 15. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do a few things. Is that what it says? Apart from me, you can't do anything. So when I'm talking about these things, I, I want us to understand how important it is that we know what it means to abide in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus is knowing his word and living by his word in our life. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. I blow it all the time too, but when I blow it, let's ask for forgiveness, dust our pants off, and start again living for Jesus to glorify him. Okay, you say something you shouldn't say at work. Go ask forgiveness of those that heard you. Dust off your pants and start living like Jesus would have you live. You've not been working as hard as you need to work in your home, in your marriage, or work, or where. Then make it right with those folks and begin to make a change. Do a man or a woman in the mirror and figure out, am I living my life to glorify God or not? Am I just going halfway, or am I leaving it all on the field for the glory of God? Jesus left it all on the field. For the glory of his Father. Let that sink in. He left it all on the cross for you and me. To restore us into right relationship with his Father. To put us in a position where he could shape us day by day. Changing our character. Changing our our want to's and our values. Changing our lifestyle. And and that he might use our lives to bring glory to his name. And we cannot do that in 
in and of ourselves. We can't do that in our own power. We can only do that as we lean into Jesus, as we lean into his word, as we depend on him. Listen, I want to share with you, you know I'm not a perfect man, but I don't get out of bed of a morning. I don't let my feet hit the ground without praying a prayer like this. God, this day is your day, and I want to bring glory to your name. Would you please use me as an extension of your heart and hands in people's lives today so that this day would not be lived in vanity, but would be lived to glorify you? And you know what? He never fails to bring people into my life, across my path, that I get the opportunity to minister to them. When I have clients, I pray with every client I have. And you know what? Most of them don't know Jesus. And I've only had a few that have looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate when I ask them, do you mind if I pray with you? Some of them go, well, I I guess. Great, let's pray. And I promise to leave the missionaries out. I've only had one that kind of acted like it was, he wasn't, He was just out there, man. That's all I can say. But bottom line is this. It planted a seed in that young man that the Holy Spirit, I believe, can use about somebody that loves Jesus. What can you pray before your feet hit the ground? Where are you going to put your mind during the day so that he might use you to bring glory to himself through the life you Jesus saved us to restore us to God in order for us to be shaped by God, enabling us to live lives glorifying to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And we know that apart from you, we can't do any of this. We're so grateful, Lord, for the way you've already set things in motion for us. All we have to do is join you. You're the one that will prune us and shape us. You're the one that will empower us to do these things. We just need to tune into you. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to embrace you and abide in you so that these things are possible. We don't want to wake up one day realizing that our lives are lived in vain. But rather, like Billy Graham, our lives made a difference for the cause of Christ. I ask for that, Lord. I ask that for my life, for my family, for my church. You love these people way more than I do. So I'm asking you still, Lord, 30 years later, please do a work here that only you're going to get the praise and the glory for and use these people as an extension of your heart and hands to do it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.